Welcome to another episode of the B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Today with Mark Holgan, helping B2B tech brands generate demand by speaking on podcasts. The ideal customers already listened to. Also being a chief revenue officer himself at Task Drive. Now also helping uh, other founders and salespeople on revenue collectives, Scalewise, Growth Mentor, and uh, Yellow O. So, uh, Mark, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're building in terms of lead sourcing strategies and also how you write that 150-word email that gets 60% replies. Yeah, a lot to unpack. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on to, to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to, to giving away some of my secrets with you and your audience. Um, so I guess a bit of background. I've been working in B2B sales and marketing for the last 12 years, um, but I'm currently working on Speak On Podcast, which is a guest booking agency, and we literally live and die by outreach. Um, so it's a real combination of my previous experience where I ran Task Drive, which was a lead sourcing and data enrichment company where we sold to sales teams. And that's where I developed the 14 uh, different lead sources, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but right now, um, my main focus is uh, the Speak On Podcast Agency. And I also coach via the Sales Impact Academy uh, two courses, one on outbound prospecting. So it's the full process of prospecting for new SDRs. And the other one is a cold email prospecting bootcamp where we focus on how to create persona and uh, persona-based relevant emails that get 60% replies. Yeah, and I think which is a very impressive rate. What are what uh, type of like number of contacts are we talking like 5, 20, 50, 100 people at a time? Because that's the thing we are very often see people are like, oh, I got the 60% reply rate. I wrote to five people mm. I know for a mm. decade, which is not the same as like getting it done for 100 people. Yeah, so um, for one campaign, we're adding around 100 contacts per week and, and regularly consistently hitting uh, around the 65% reply rate. For, for Speak On Podcasts, we send out much smaller batches and it's a different market, right? We're, we're yeah. reaching out to podcast hosts. Uh, they're a little bit more open and warm um, to receiving uh, good guest suggestions. So we see 70% reply rates with those campaigns. Um, but again, it's a different market. It's not like selling to a cold prospect. Yeah, but I think it's very impressive at, at the scale of what you're doing. And so many people say, like, cold email is dead. It's not working in the US. Uh, it doesn't work on, on on the UK anymore because it's also UK-based, uh, like, English-speaking-based. And um, mm -hmm. what I found interesting about your profile, you also work quite a bit uh, in recruitment before you went into, like, normal sales yeah. and wanted to have a, a job that gave you this actual accountability and ownership or, as I like to say, mm -hmm. a close feedback loop. What was the trigger for you to go into this closed feedback loop and also this high pressure job, if you're honest? It, to move into sales or? Yes, first recruitment, then sales, I think, pretty much. Yeah, so recruitment is a sales job. So you, you, have, you have two main uh, responsibilities in recruitment. You have to interview candidates and find them matching for jobs that you're trying to hire, uh, that you're trying to fill. But then you also have to source your own uh, appointment, so uh, own appointments with uh, finding companies who are currently recruiting. Back when I started, I was literally driving around um, business parks, walking into the reception, speaking <laughs> to the gatekeeper, and trying to sweeten them up, and then uh, try and get a meeting or at least the details of the person. There was no Zoom info or these large databases yeah, yeah, back, yeah. back then. <laughs> um, so that really, I, I like to say, like I, uh, you. You cut your teeth in your first role. I well and truly smashed my teeth uh, working in sales in a very high-pressured environment. Um, but after a few years of doing that, I, I, I managed to recruit into Experian, which is a pretty large company in the UK and US. Um, and they ended up asking me to join their company. 
to join their HR team and bring my agency recruitment experience into their in-house team because they were just spending so much money on agencies. So yeah. I kind of came in and, uh, and upskilled the team there with, um, you know, how to approach uh, prospect, not prospect, sorry, candidate sourcing. Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting play between recruitment, uh, digital marketing and sales and all ties into each other. So that was pretty much a decade ago. Like I'm going to ask a cheeky question with the know-how to how to recruit and how to sell and how to market. What so far prevented you in this last decade to found your own company? Like why are you also doing the multiple roles that you're doing just from a motivation perspective? Yeah, sure. So what prevented me was probably fear. Um, I grew up in a very nice environment. Um, my, my parents were very much get a good degree, get a good job, they'll look after you. Um, and then in 2008, my dad was made redundant after working for the same company for 30 years. And he That's turned around, he turned around to me and said, everything that I told you <laughs> was wrong. Uh, they won't look after you. Um, and obviously, he was very bitter at the time because it was uh, 30 years is a very long time to work for one yeah, company. That's a lifetime in it is. professional it, life. It really is. And um, and my mum was made redundant a few years later in, in her role. And um, I just realized that actually there isn't as much security working for these big corporate companies um, as what we believe. Um, coupled with the fact that I took a sabbatical for a year and I went traveling around South America and Southeast Asia. Whilst I was in Chile, my old manager contacted me and said, Mark, you know how you implemented HubSpot for our company? I've got a, I've got a friend of mine who needs some, somebody to do the exact same thing. And I didn't want to work. I did take my laptop, but I, did, I literally took a year off. And um, he said, look, just quote an amount that you're happy with. And if they say yes, just be happy uh, with it. So I quoted a, a large number, more than I'd ever imagined. They said yes. <laughs> uh, and then I spent... Aaron, the, I need to open a laptop yeah, again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I spent the next two weeks working on this HubSpot implementation. And it made me realize that I have a skill. It's in demand. I know how to sell. Um, I know how to build rapport with people because of all of my experience to date led me to, to where I was in that position. So I made the decision whilst traveling to still not do any work. But when I returned to the UK to set up my own business, I think that was really the turning point for me to start my more entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so with, with London Captain there was pretty much, or? With, with, um, no, that was or, a friend of mine who was launching a network, um, uh, like a networking for female founders. So yeah. I was just supporting there, uh, looking after the London chapter for a little while, which was just great to give back a little bit to the community of startups. Yeah, for sure. And uh, now what, what would you consider like your, your 2025 game that you want to get into? Like, are you looking to join a company that does sales for sales, pretty much like you do a lot of with Revenue Collective and so on? Are you looking to find your old B2B sales tech sauce or where, yeah, where's so that leading you? I've, I've positioned myself in the B2B SaaS space yes. and everything I do right now is related to the, um, the funnel of the pirate metrics, awareness, um, activation, uh, retention, revenue, and referral. So Speak On Podcast is all about building that brand awareness. Um, the Sales Impact Academy is acquisition, usually by outbound, um, outbound sales. And the uh, activation and retention is the product on borders. So I really sit in the middle. I have lots of conversations with uh, B2B SaaS founders, and I've got either my own products or services, or I've got partners uh, that I've got around me who I refer people to. So I speak to maybe uh, 12 to 15 founders a month, and oftentimes I'm just pointing them in the right direction, giving them no BS advice and being honest and saying how it is and giving my advice of what I would be doing if I was in their situation. Yeah, really good stuff. I think we can definitely join, have that conversation a bit, um, and outside of the podcast, but also here as that sales playbook where we figured out working with 150 plus founders and 
probably like just me personally, three to five times that many, mm -hmm. is that what they really lack is uh, the orchestration and um, basically this one platform, or like what we call it, the sales acceleration platform, where they can speak to multiple people about a subject because sometimes they just don't like a coach, even if the person is paid on outbound uh, sales and it's like, yeah, but it's not a fit for our industry. Mm -hmm. and uh, they value the diversity they can get so we, we ourselves do 2025 what we call sales masterminds and okay it's i think it's interesting what for example um sales for startups dakota uk does uh in uk you probably know the guys i think they, they've been pioneering this field quite a bit uh mm -hmm. but uh, i think it's i think it's really interesting so in this recruiting and sales space i'm just curious to learn about your opinion that but there's a chronic lack of B2B sales talent, mm -hmm. uh, especially for tech sales. How do you tackle that? Or how, how do you see innovation in the recruitment space for startups to get top-notch talent uh, and not have MongoDB, Zscaler, HubSpot, Salesforce, Microsoft, AWS soaking it up all at insane mm -hmm. salaries, quite frankly? Yeah, well, it's it's very difficult to compete with those big big players on on a salary basis. So, um, but when it comes to recruiting uh, sales talent, I'm really just going to focus on the SDRs. Really, just talking about that entry level role. Right. Um, and really, so at the with the outbound prospecting coach, I coach around uh, alongside Sarah Brazier, Brazier of Gong. We coach around eighty SDRs that are in their uh, first first sales role, typically. Um, and we do that several times a year. So we have different cohorts. Um, yeah. And I see, a, I see a mixture of backgrounds of, of individuals. Um, and really, I think what you need to be hiring for is the um, culture fit that you're looking for, the curiosity and the more softer skills. So what can you look for? I think people that have worked in front of house uh, positions like restaurants and, and uh, in retail uh, and people that just have a drive and they're a bit competitive. So if you see that they've got some sports, now, I'm not a competitive sports person, but I'm very competitive with myself. Um, <laughs> so that that kind of that competition drives through me. Um, but one thing, if you're looking at CVs and screening, if you can see that they are um, Cross, CrossFit, uh, rugby, boxing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was uh, writing a cold email for the a course that we're developing for Sales Impact Academy, and I picked a random SDR manager. I won't say her name, but she had played for um, big uh, premiership football league, uh, teams until she was 26. Um, yeah. She does marathons. She does so many things to keep keep herself active and 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 uh, and healthy. And and she's got phenomenal results in in her short career as an SDR manager. So really reverse engineering the successful stars that you have and, and looking for some of those attributes. What what do you believe is is more important, like? The, the hate of losing or the, the basically the excitement about winning in sales? It's this I'm never versus reformed religion question. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'll answer that personally. I'm not excited by winning because whatever I do won't be enough. You know, I achieve my goal and my target and I'm like, what's next? So I don't celebrate the wins because I expected myself to do those anyway and I set out to achieve them. Um, but then again, fear of losing, I'm competitive with myself. I couldn't care what other people are doing. I'm like so motivated by driving myself forward. So uh, if I had to answer, I'd say it probably would be fear of losing or fear of failing. Yeah. And and for for a professional like you with that wide skill that like what would it take for me? Um not not so indiscriminate like hiring uh questions. Like, 
what would it take for somebody like me as a founder and CEO of salespeople to hire somebody like you and motivate you? Because I don't think you, it's very attractive for you to just become a senior account executive at HubSpot. Like, that's boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I'm, I'm motivated by the entrepreneurial journey that I'm on at the moment. I started an agency with zero people in June 2020, and now we've grown it to uh, almost 20 full-time employees. So that's my that's that that's what keeps me interested. You know, having people from Venezuela, Chile, Brazil to uh, to Argentina and in the Philippines and Vietnam, and just having this team working together, that's the sort of stuff that motivates me now. Um, so yeah, probably you probably couldn't hire me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing that that, that always uh, as a as a chief hiring officer of Facebook, not looking for obviously, but I mean, in a, in terms of like what's happening in the world. There's all these these kind of entrepreneurs that typically like tech founders from very good universities, and it's like, oh, but why don't I put like a 60 to 100k fixed salary out there, and then the great talent should just apply like the Mark Colgans of this world, and why don't they come? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, damn, maybe because they're building companies themselves. Like, why shouldn't they? If you can build shit and sell it, yeah, you're gonna be unstoppable. Yeah, how do you, I... how do you see people tackling this? pandemic of uh of empty pools of sales talent but they yeah. are not able to coach their sdrs well i think that's why the sales impact academy is doing such a fantastic job of leveling up the education for any go-to-market team whether that be marketing sales or customer success i'm only involved in one or two of the courses they've got about 20. Um, and that's the exact reason why they're building out. So I genuinely believe that the, the talent shortage can be solved by hiring smart people and giving them effective training and, and engaging and engagement. But, you know, one of my thoughts is um, around the mindset of an SDR. You need to be focused on the problem that your personas face and helping them overcome those challenges and detaching yourself from the product detaching yourself from the outcome of your call, right? Yes, you want to book a meeting, but really you're starting conversations. And that's why the emails are so effective because you're starting conversations, you're not trying to pitch a meeting. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. And maybe um, tell us a bit more about, you said like, uh, we're definitely gonna come to that. Like you have to say 14 lead sourcing strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a bit more, you don't need to go in depth like on sure. the key results of all 14, but. Yeah, well, in Chet Holmes is the ultimate sales machine book. Um, I think that was 2007 or 2008. He pulled in a stat, which is 3% of your buyers are actively looking and buying. Um, the 7% might be open to it and the majority just aren't. Uh, they're not They're not open to it or they don't even know they have a problem. So with yep. that, when I, when I read that stat, I thought, okay, well, how do I find that 3%? How do I go and identify people who are more likely to be buying or in a buying point uh, buying position so there are some simple ones now which are getting quite popular which is if a company is currently hiring then they're going to be expanding most of the time and then therefore they might have challenges that they haven't faced before and your solution might be able to help them overcome that challenge right a, cl a classic example would be something like train you which helps with new with new employee onboarding and processes you know if a company's if a company is hiring 15 people you know that uh, they don't have the system set up to really onboard those people. Yes. So that's that's a really good time to start a conversation. Another one is if a uh, company's recently raised a round of funding, uh, again, another signal that they're investing in what they did to get to series A, they're going to have to do some very different things to get to series B, and they've got the additional pressures of VCs uh, hammering them in their in their monthly board meetings. So, so they're kind again, of what, what got you here will not get you there, and so like exactly. Mark, so 
like our Crazy <clears throat> Impact Academy has just raised four million in funding. I understand from from your wall, yes. right? So I guess yeah. they told people we're going to hire twenty people, and so like the, the Series A investor will be or seed. That's pretty much seed in the UK by these days, mm -hmm. I guess. Like okay, so where are the twenty people? It's like ah, oh, it takes nine months for us to get these three months sourcing, three months consigning, uh -huh. three months ramping. It's like yeah, but mate, in eighty months you need to hit the next milestone for Series B or Series A, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I don't I think the, the VC math sometimes is just done on a spreadsheet and divided by twelve. So <laughs> you you've got two you've you know you've got to you've got to get uh, two million of net new revenue. Okay, let's divide that by twelve and that's how we're gonna do it. And it's just not yeah. realistic. That's not how compounding interest looks like. No, exactly. not at all. Um, a couple of other um, lead sourcing playbooks is uh, if somebody started a new role. Um, so in the B2B world, uh, they, I think there's 70% 70, 70 chance that they're going to be purchasing new products, services, or solutions when somebody starts a new role, especially if they're quite senior. So again, good time to start the conversation. And you'll notice me say conversation, 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 because yes, that's it. Um, <laughs> and I agree. The, uh, another few, so take this one for example, um, for Speak On Podcast, we need to work with companies who are, uh, they understand that they need to invest in their brand awareness. Like speaking on podcasts as a guest can generate leads, can generate sales, but that's not the main motivation that you should be doing it. It should be about getting your message out there to audiences that you haven't quite reached so far and you can leverage other podcasts as, as, a, uh, as a vehicle for that. So not every B2B technology company is in that mindset. But I know that Chris Walker has a very similar uh, approach to demand, generating demand. So yeah. if Chris Walker posts uh, something on, on, on LinkedIn and he gets 300 people liking that post, I'm going to go and have a look at those 300 people. And if they fit my persona, I'm going to reach out to them. And I'm going to start the conversation about that approach to marketing because it aligns with what our service can do and what it offers. I call that one the social expansion. Um, that's yeah. a social expansion playbook. Um, so look at the influencers who speak the same language as, uh, when I say language, theory and, and strategies as, and tactics as, as you, um, and see who's engaging with their posts and, and start the conversation with those people. No, absolutely. I think even language quite literally, right? I'm just reading mm -hmm. uh, Flip the Script by Oren Glove, so successor to Genevieve, um, like, and found it very interesting, like with the status tip of asking mm -hmm. the barkeeper, do you, have, you, don't, you don't have a tactical nuclear penguin and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? And uh, apparently, I, I didn't know. Like, that, that's that's one of the rarest beers in a bottle, costs a thousand bucks and tastes horrible. But the barkeep was immediately like, oh shit, you don't want to have the Heineken. Let me go to the kitchen and grab a beer for you. I don't have a tactical TNP, which is yeah. called apparently, uh, but I have a very good one here. It was, it was also like 10 bucks. Like, okay, thank you very much. And it was this, literally this 10 words or so to align in lingo. So. Mm -hmm. We go to a, to a, a medicine person or biochemist, like, would it be a smart idea to um, shut down telomerase to heal cancer? And people are like, what, what, hold on a moment. Like, why mm -hmm. are you asking this question? And it, it doesn't necessarily build trust, but it at least builds enough intrigue to have a deeper conversation, right? Definitely. No, I 100% agree. Cool. Um, I'd love to ask you a few rapid fire questions, uh, if you're ready. They're more yeah, rapid fire than to answer, we figured out. but. <laughs> um, first one, so uh, do you prefer one pound of revenue from a new or from an existing customer and why? Uh, one pound, like an additional pound? Yes. Um, I would say existing customer. And, um, and why is that? Just um... Yeah, reason being is, if, let's say a customer is renewing, so we get around 60% of our customers renew, the 40% don't renew because there's not enough podcasts for them to go out 
based on the niche and, and audience. But if they're renewing, it shows that your service is uh, living up to their expectations and hopefully exceeding them. Um, and then that way it helps you understand that your service is good, it's solid, it's a quality uh, thing that you're providing, service or product, that is. Cool stuff. And if you get a 100K bonus, do you want it in cash or stock options? For example, from um, Sales Academy. Uh, cash. Cool. That's actually most people say, or because we have a lot of founders as well on here, but uh, that's, a, that's a good one. And then I, I suspect I know the answer to this, this one already, but if you can hire a junior sales rep for 50K or a senior sales rep for 150K, which one do you take and why? Um, what role would they be doing? Um, you're just hiring them. Um, you, you can say like for an SDR and for an account executive. Take these Yes. So if the 150K uh, sales rep has experience of closing deals, then I would, and that's what I needed, I would hire that, that person. Um, if I needed a, somebody to generate conversations and I needed to mold them into my way of prospecting, then I'd hire the, the 50K candidate. Yeah, good one. And what's, what's your number one source of improving your own sales skills? I guess podcast takes a role. Podcasts. So people <laughs> Yeah, yeah, podcasting, um, and also the the learners that I speak to on Sales Impact Academy. So, like I said, there's 80 people uh, on each course, and I learn so much from them, which then uh, informs the course content as well. So it's this constant loop of, of never-ending learning. Right, and then um, what do you think of the very American podcast of this world, like um, Dan Martell's Escape Velocity, Nathan Lutkow's The Top Entrepreneurs, which are very American in sense, very useful, very numbers-driven. Yeah, I, I think uh, I've got respect for Nathan Latka because he gets a lot of numbers out of people and asks very difficult <laughs> questions. I actually don't know how quickly, I don't know how his brain works as quickly as it does. Um, so it's impressive. Um, Do although, doing seven episodes a day, every single day, and selling it to VCs for a ton of money. Yeah. Was, it was yeah. Fun. Have you been on his podcast so far? N no, I haven't because I don't have a SaaS, uh, I'm not a SaaS founder and that's usually his uh, his core target. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I booked it with him and like, uh, I could see him, it wasn't, okay, so are you SaaS or an agency? It was like, well, we in the middle, like, sorry, an agency, like, and you could see, <laughs> okay, the, and after 12 minutes he shut me down, but it was fun to be, like, good, great coaching happened, so. Yeah, he, he, interestingly, you talk about Dan Martel. I'm a big fan of Dan Martel as well. He's got a great attitude when it comes to generating content, which is useful for the audience that he's serving. Um, so I use him a lot as an example in case studies about creating content that right. your personas actually care about. Um, but Dan, uh, Dan Martel interviewed Nathan, or speaking about Nathan Latka, and Nathan Latka just said it costs so much, le it's so much cheaper to be hated um, from a marketing <laughs> point of view. That sounds a lot like Nathan. Like <laughs> yeah. Hate yeah, me or love yeah. me, there's no money in the middle, and I'm happy to be the most sued podcaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it costs so much less to be hated. Uh, that's a good one. That That's like the Logan Paul and just piss off everybody and get yes, a million yeah. to box people. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you think if you're already on the, the, the grades, would not, but the controversial personalities in sources out there? What do you think of Nick Cosman and Sales Process? Are you? Um, I don't. I, so here, here's what happened. They they were prospecting a company that I, as a friend of mine, she owns it. And uh, I was like, put your hand up and say you're interested and watch what a high pressure sales scenario is going to feel like. And you then, never need to get that experience if that. <laughs> you, you do, you do. And they, and they follow around uh, with retargeting as well. Um, I think it's, you know, I think the theories, I think the theory is solid. The maths do work out but it leaves a lot for the founders to do and implement themselves. Um, 
if they're, I, I think they have an outsourced service as well. Um, but yeah, I think you've got to think about what's the reflection of your brand if you're working in that high pressure. And it's not just Nick, uh, there's, there's like Dan Locke and uh, Grant Cardone. I love this. Yeah, yeah, they teach this sort of stuff. And, you know, I care about my reputation. And I was talking to a friend the other day, I've got a customer now that's bought from me in the three previous companies that I've worked at. Um, right. We have a great relationship. He knows that he can trust me. He knows that the service I provide are going to be of good quality. I think if you outsource your sales and you're not keeping on top of your reputation, you really damage burning through your total addressable market, especially if it's so, if it's small as well. So if you have this kind of like high high numbers and high pressure sales, it's not going to develop the the relationships and the um, respect really that you that you want from customers. I, I completely agree. And sometimes people ask like, "Hey, shall I sign up for this stuff?" And like, look, um, these people are speaking about the 300 million territory plus maybe 400, 500. Uh, we in here in Switzerland, um, eight million, nine million people. And mm -hmm. you're in this industry selling like customized robots or um, yes. like really, really complex stuff like 3D concrete printing where you have 100 potential customers in the world. So with that approach, you're going to be done in a day, yeah. but it's not going to do you a favor. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked in a similar industry when I was first, first starting out in marketing. It was a data center design and build company. They could only take on three or four projects a year, $10 million yes. plus. $10 million plus. So our approach to marketing was let's go to the big events, make sure we have a stand, make sure we're showing up and let's put 2000 pound behind the bar next door and just invite everybody in to have some free beers and some entertainment. We would do a raffle. Uh, lots of people in that industry like to play golf. If, if back then it's probably changed now, but my observation was white middle-class men that like to play golf. That was the persona basically. Yeah. Um, so, so we just geared our marketing towards them and gave them um, tickets to go and play golf at really nice golf courses and, and stuff like that and and that's what we did for marketing and it worked yeah and what, what, what sports do you personally like then uh anyone that i can play against myself so golf is my main sport ah cool so but you could also play darts running triathlon this sort of stuff but where you can put a number to it and measure if you score yeah. getting better pretty much so anything anything repetitive that i can do over and over again i really enjoy so darts Basketball, not playing against people, but just shooting hoops, just, shooting, just trying shooting to shooting threes, basically. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. And um, but golf is the main one for me. I think it's a, such a mental challenge as well. You go and tee off, and you completely f up your shot, uh, and you've got this long walk of shame to go and find yep. your ball, <laughs> and then then you find the ball, and it's even, in an even worse space than you thought. And then you've got, but you've got to compose yourself, and then you've got to take your next shot to to, to save your save yourself. And I think it's the same if I look at my pipeline, my deals in my pipeline, it's the same thing. Some yeah. deals go through, they go off uh, off the fairway and you've got to bring them back on the fairway it, and, and knock them into This the, is what Nick refers to as low emotional volatility. And I think um, my first years I've had a plus two golf handicap. So like, are you really this balanced guy? Sometimes maybe even a bit too balanced for hunters. Uh -huh. Like not going like, ah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I agree. I, I'm more of a boxing squash floorball person myself I guess more more impulsive so mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's really interesting I think when you look at enterprise sales versus like high ticket then lock sales versus mid-tier uh -huh. SMB sales with how people it would be interesting analysis I think to do for a PhD so um, definitely definitely I just just to go to the high pressure sales I started selling more when I stopped selling like I do not yeah, actively yeah, sell sure. I do not actively sell but We've grown our um, our revenue by I think it's one hundred and thirty percent in July alone since I've been taking over sales, and I haven't actively nice. tried to sell. 
Are, are you okay to say if you currently at like six, seven, uh, eight figure annual revenue run rate? Yeah, so we're a year old, um, but we're at a comfortable six figure at the moment. Nice, congrats to that. Thank and you. what's what's something you wish you would have known when you were 20 actually and how old are you now i'm 34 so that's 14 years God, that is a long time um i think i would have invested more purposely in building my network of, of people around me um i have a mantra of always be connecting which i practice and preach now uh, but i wish i started doing that when i was when i was 20 and i think there's different levels of people you should connect with so people on the same level as you working with similar brands and, and customers there's people who are behind you, so they're just getting started out. Help them, pay it forward. There's people who are ahead of you, um, who you may want to learn from and, and be mentored by. And then there's what I call gangster multipliers. And I have to say, I got that. I got that name from David Hensel, who's the CEO of Task Drive that I used to run. Um, and it's finding other people who think exactly like you and will connect you to other people as well. So they're, they're the gangster multipliers. Yeah, which is coming off an offside. And at one point, like this sales playbook mafia inauguration party term emerged, like nothing, nothing Italian uh, in that sense. Like even our <laughs> CTO is Italian by, by nature. But um, yeah, that makes so much sense. I think just having the right five people around you in sports, professional life, personally. Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, an, an example of this is with um, the Sales Impact Academy. I was part of the Revenue Collective. I met Tom, uh, Tom Glasson, who was the chapter head for London. He introduced me to Paul when uh, and I had a conversation with Paul, who's the founder of Sales Impact Academy. And about four months later, they're like, we need somebody to run outbound prospecting. And I've been mm -hmm. speaking about it uh, quite a lot and uh, spoke to Tom and helped him, uh, not helped him with our prospecting, but with another project he was working on. Just investing my time in, in these relationships and not expecting anything in return. And then yeah. that happens, right? Now I'm a coach and I'm coaching two courses. Yeah, I, th I think it's this playing long-term games with long-term people that's that's exciting. And a lot of salespeople don't get that. It's like, hey, I need mm. this quarterly close now, like my quota, and I need to cash and have a nice watch and have a nice Lamborghini, whatever. And yeah. the really good ones, like the Chuck of Undercoys of this world, they, they're still here after two decades. Right? That, exactly. That's the impressive part, I think. Yeah, for sure. Speaking with about the future, what's what's the most interesting trend in B2B sales you see emerging right now? I mean, there's tons of AI, like there's voice analysis in Gong and Chorus, there's the sales, sales engagement platforms like Salesloft, Outreach, Outplay, and so on. What for you is exciting you the most? Yeah, so I, I love I love the amount of money going into the tech. Uh, I can imagine <laughs> there's going to be some uh, huge acquisitions at some point from some of the yeah. even bigger players. Um, so it's great to see. Um, I think one of the things i'm most excited about is sales reps starting to understand that it is a long game um it's not about pitching it's about initiating conversations and solving problems for people uh, and i see the companies that are doing this well are prospering at the moment and they're not just hammering their tam and uh, burning through through their leads so for me the biggest trend that i enjoy seeing is is that collaboration and what I loved, okay, when uh, COVID first happened, everyone went into lockdown, you would have John Barrows teaming up with Gong to do a webinar about remote selling. John Barrows didn't have to do that. Gong didn't have to do it, but they did collaborate to provide content for sales, uh, VPs to sales that needed it uh, right then. Yep. And I, th I think we're going to see more and more of that collaboration happening as well. And ditching the don't, don't gate your content unless it's a really, really high valuable piece of content. Just remove the forms so people can access it freely. Yeah, that, that's that's what I did. Even like writing a fifty-page ebook around like this twenty-five B two B sales myths debunked, like how to go mm -hmm. from zero to ten million. And people are like, why don't you have a form? Why don't you do leech? And I was like, hey, look, if people, I hope they'll get value. If they get value, they will reach out or they will tell somebody you can get value from it. Like, 
it's all about value and then in the end like capturing a one to ten percent of it definitely and, and what's the point in reaching out to a lead that's just downloaded an ebook that when they're not interested in buying from you like it's it's not it's not an intense signal that you should really be focusing of, on of definitely changing, contact them but. of changing the lead score from 33 to 37 yeah. and then putting them to another to nursing sequence and like how patrick like is likes to say like just pick up the phone and start dialing and have a, yeah. have a human conversation so. Yeah, and, and, and also uh, one of the things we teach in Outbound Prospecting is if somebody's just downloaded a 50-page ebook and they did it at 10 a.m. this morning, it's now 11.30, don't They're call not them and say, <laughs> yeah, do, what did you think? Um, instead, ask them, like, what, what, what were you hoping to learn? Or what, what challenge yeah. are, you, are you looking what, to what phase are you in right? What phase are you in right now? Like, okay, may I guide you to me 27 and, and 20, 23 and 24 because it seems like you are at the stage, so. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think we could speak for days pretty much. So, so <laughs> I think we having, could. Having this conversation, but thanks so much um, uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, and uh, truly interesting how you came from uh, basically recruiting into sales, uh, digital marketing background, which I think is very powerful. Coming chief revenue officer at Task Drive, now doing multiple things, founding your own agency with speak on podcasts, already hitting six digits revenue after just a year. Congrats to that. Any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I just say, remember that always be connecting. Um, always always do one more dial. Always speak to that one extra person when you're at a networking event. And just, just quickly, if I can, I, I turned around to a guy um, who I went to a, a networking event in London. He was an older gentleman sitting behind me. I turned around and was like, hi, I'm Mark. Just got speaking to him. Uh, he had just exited a previous business. He was there to learn a little bit about marketing. Um, he then was working on a self startup. And I was like, hey, look, no, I've got no connection, but I'm happy to give you some um, external point of view, some advice. You've been looking at this pitch deck for, for months. Um, I'm more than happy to give it uh, my, a pair of eyes, another pair of eyes. Anyway, fast forward four or five months later, I'm sitting uh, with him doing a demo day in Techstars in North <laughs> Carolina. So nice. you ne you never know where the conversations are going to go. So don't be afraid and always always have that conversation. And one last tip, one, one last tip. Get uncomfortable. Do things that make you uncomfortable every day. What I do is I go and ask for a discount everywhere I go. I'm in Portugal. <laughs> I don't speak great Portuguese, so it gets myself into some awkward situations. And I was, But there was a lot of Portuguese to credit. <laughs> but um I but yeah, make uh, Spanish, but... yeah it's really tough and they get offended when you do that so i just yes. i have learned just to not say anything um but yeah <laughs> i always ask for always ask for a 10 percent discount um not because i'm cheap and i want the discount but you get used to the no and the rejection every day and the worst the worst it gets is that you get a no and it just teaches you to just always push forward yep excellent stuff thanks so much for joining and uh really looking forward to keeping in touch and uh always be connecting and having more conversations like this Awesome. Thank you, Manuel. Thanks for having me. Speak to you soon.